Hey guys, it's Keith. So, in the midst of uh, Eastern European war and ongoing COVID debates and existential threats of various degrees around our world, my dad approached me with a bit of a one-off lark of a project idea, which was to compile a list of our favorite classic rock songs. And <laughs> I'm going to talk about it today. I know it sounds like a bit silly, but um, I do want to talk kind of, I want to frame this as a sort of uh, a project in which you really want to do something properly, to do something as best you can, if you will. And what that cost-benefit analysis is, is it always worth doing something the best? Is it always worth doing something at all? So let me give you some backstory. My dad is kind of a, a nerd, uh, kind of a dorky in a way that I've inherited. You know, I'm not sure if you all know this about me, but I definitely nerd out on various topics um, from cool to not cool. You know, like being a cinema nerd, cinema cinephile, is kind of cool, right? Like having studied that. Um, but really caring about maps and, you know, infographics and charting visual data. That's not that cool, right? Caring about geography and being able to name every country in the world. That's not that cool. It's just kind of, you know, it's cool for people that like it. It's not cool for people that don't care. So I do have that. I think we all do to some extent, um, have our little pet interests. And I do share this with my dad, this kind of pet interest, um, somewhat of music, which is the topic of this, of this one, but more the interest of organization and personal interests, almost like a self-indulgence, uh, you know, navel-gazing uh, effort, right? I mean, I've picked up a lot of this from my dad, who is very much like this, and I mean it endearingly, though I do have some critical uh, view of it as well, right? How much is very personal navel-gazing productive how interesting is it I, I try and keep a distance about that you know like to recognize that this is only my taste this is my perspective and is it worthwhile to indulge in that so much right for my dad it certainly is and I've gotten a lot of that from him um, in ways that I think can be productive you know like writing autobiographically or making lists of your favorite films and nowadays that is presented almost passed off as journalism, quite frankly. It's presented online, like on BuzzFeed lists, as definitive or, you know, an expert opinion. And to some extent, I've pursued this sort of life or this way of thinking, uh, partly as a result of growing up with my dad being who he is and presenting me with his list of his 100 favorite films of all time and showing that to me at a formative age, right? Um, you know growing up with his record collection and listening to him play uh, Billy Joel and Fleetwood Mac and stuff. So, you know, I, I have to honor my father in this way of appreciating um, these aspects of how he raised me. And it's like a thing that maybe as parents, we don't always consider the effects it might have on kids or we, we might not be as self-critical as maybe we could be, not that we should be necessarily, but the way that this kind of like affects the people around you. 
But in any case, in this podcast episode today, I'm going to fully indulge in that. But I want to also offer a sort of effort or attempt at objectivity, that it might not just be my specific taste or my dad's taste. Now, of course, it will be, right? I can't really get out of the way of myself, and I'm not a scientist. But I want to do this a little more scientifically than my dad did, and I want to talk it through with you guys, just because I do think it's interesting to consider some of these points in a broader way. So, yeah, basically, the way that he approached me was, so Keith, you know, I love classical music as well, symphonies, composers, concertos, and your uncle Bruce and I, we each wrote a list of our favorite composers, or rather, uh, composed pieces of music, and we made it a top 40, because like the Billboard top 40 is like a tradition, and then we compared our lists, and we noticed the similarities, and we like put those into a new master list, you know, and we organized it. So I thought I would do the same with you because, you know, I, I like classic rock and maybe um, you're the person to do this with. Now, I'm not sure why that is exactly. I'm not the hugest fan of classic rock. I don't really even know what it is, if I'm honest with you guys. But of course, I have a sense, you know, I can certainly say that Led Zeppelin is classic rock. But is Bruce Springsteen also classic rock? You know, are singer-songwriters like, you know... Uh, Simon and Garfunkel, you know, Paul Simon, is that classic rock? Um, so I started getting into my head immediately about it, like, this is a bit fraught with complications. But he looked at it very simply, like, he just thought classic rock is the general catch-all genre that he listened to throughout the 70s and 80s, and that he could just make a list of his favorite songs. Quite frankly, probably just pop music that's not classically composed. Um so, you know, he's including bands like Blood, Sweat, and Tears and Sticks, and I would not necessarily call those bands classic rock, you know. Stevie Wonder is R&B, it's soul, you know. Some of these bands like, you know, Grand Funk Railroad, this is not classic rock, okay. But be that as it may, I just thought this is an interesting project just um, from a, the perspective of organizing thoughts. So I said, all right, Dad, let's do this project. It's kind of fun. I do like, you know, the entire Beatles catalog. I know that well. Um, I love it when, you know, bands like Fleetwood Mac are remixed into techno dance club music. You know, like I have an appreciation for classic rock, even though my Spotify and Apple accounts don't really have any of it. There are certain songs through my um, my life that I've always glommed onto, you know, like She's a Rainbow by Rolling Stones or, you know, these kind of songs that, they count, and maybe they're quite up there for me. And I thought it might be fun to compare the songs that I've loved over my life with the songs that my dad actually grew up with that he loves. So we're doing this project, and I said, all right, Dad, instead of doing a Word document, uh, just giving me a list, and instead of limiting it, his, his whole concept was one song by each band, so like one Beatles song next to one song by... Boston or something like that and I just thought well I'm not sure about that I'm not necessarily buying into that yet so let's start here let's make an online spreadsheet and we can share it now I don't know how many of you have dads and how old those dads are but that is already a bit of a task I can tell you to sign the same Google sheet but um, I've started that sheet and then I just I kind of get really nerdy on it you know I I make a column for the year it was released 
I make a column for the era or the decade, but broken down more specifically into the era because, you know, classic rock songs by the animals or the kinks, they're not necessarily spoken of in the same breath as classic rock songs by uh, even the doors, but definitely not like U2, right? If that is even still classic rock. And I wanted to like make these columns that really identify what we're talking about factually, the name of the song, the album, and then columns, of course, with our ratings. You know, let's use a one to 10 scale. Let's put a number down. Let's make a third column that averages out those columns. Of course, more people can get involved and add those if you had a whole writer's room of opinions on this topic. And so I'm developing it that way, but then I just thought, what is classic rock? You know, I mean, you can go on Wikipedia and the definition there is pretty amusing. You know, it goes into, uh, maybe I can read part of it for you right here because it's, uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a hoot in my opinion. Um, they describe it as a radio format that developed from the album-oriented rock AOR format in the early '80s, and maybe that's how my dad is thinking about it because album-oriented rock is definitely different than, you know, it's definitely different than singles, but it's definitely different than symphonic compositions, right? Uh, in the U.S., the classic rock format comprises rock music ranging generally from the mid '60s through the mid '90s primarily focusing on commercially successful blues rock and hard rock. So I like that a lot, that description. It further goes, the radio format became increasingly popular with the baby boomer demo by the end of the 90s. And that's what my dad is. He's a boomer. And I'm buying this description, right? Mid-60s is pretty accurate to me because I go in to um, to our file here and I look by year and the first song is from the 64. And, you know, the Beatles are basically the quintessential classic rock band in my mind. Um, but is every Beatles song of that, you know, is I Want to Hold Your Hand from the early 60s really classic rock? It's not really, right? It's like pop uh, or bubblegum rock or just rock and roll. You know, is Chuck Berry classic rock? I mean, it's not really considered classic rock. That's like rock and roll. And, you know, Elvis is not classic rock, really. Um so mid-60s feels like something happened there that made it classic rock. And I think the song that really was the first real classic rock song is probably My Generation uh, by The Who in 1965. So that's my opinion, you know, but I'm not sure if my opinion is right. So I make this column kind of asking the question, how classic rock is this on a scale of one to 10? And I present that to my dad because maybe he disagrees. Maybe th he thinks that I want to hold your hand by the Beatles is classic rock. Or maybe he draws the line later and says that even the who is not classic rock. So if we both rate that a 10, then that probably kicks up the who as more valid in a way for this list. And you know, I might be losing some of you already because this is getting very esoteric, but to me, as a writer, as somebody that puts my opinion out there in the world, I look at some of these lists and it really is insane. Like there's a, a list out there when you Google this topic that puts Blondie in classic rock. You know, my dad is putting Talking Heads in classic rock. I mean, it gets really kind of wild when you start broadening the definition the sex pistols as classic rock like this is punk rock this is new wave you know this is synth pop like this is not all classic rock you know what i mean and it does get tricky 
you know, like there are bands that are certainly probably classic rock, like Van Halen, but Van Halen's biggest song, Jump, is like synth-based, you know, like is synth music or keyboard music classic rock? I don't know. But I think that's what I'm aiming to do with a with a project like this, is to like really define terms. I think maybe because I spend so much time talking here on this podcast about clarifying things, fully understanding what you're talking about, you know, if you're talking about COVID and mask mandates, like define your terms of how, you know, the efficacy of these things or where your point of view is coming from, you know. So if we're talking about classic rock, like I'm I'm starting to think that this spreadsheet can get pretty big depending on how on how objective to make it, right? So like this idea of is this classic rock, that's a subjective question. But then if we can agree on the terms, I would maybe offer that classic rock has to have guitar in it, right? So does this song have a guitar in it? You know what I mean? Um, and then furthermore, it should probably have a distorted guitar or like a lead guitar solo in it, right? So to me, a song that has that is more classic rock than a song that doesn't have that. So I think that's interesting to put out there. You know, um, a lot of the songs that my dad is into um, fail that categorization, you know. Um, I'm just looking around like Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel is a lovely song. And Simon and Garfunkel might be classic rock, but that's probably the least, that's, that's probably their least rock song. Uh, you know, it's a very soft ballad singer-songwriter song. Um so it's like tricky to define this. Like the Eagles, uh, Desperado is a nice song, but it's definitely a ballad. It's soft rock, maybe, but it's nowhere near the classic rock uh, anthem in canon culture as Hotel California, which has probably some of the best guitar licks ever written. And, you know, if you're confining your definition to one song per band, I'm a little befuddled why anybody would choose Desperado by the Eagles over Hotel California, which is probably, to be honest, the number one classic rock song of all time. Um, so you get into some of that, and I just think it helps to think this stuff through when you define the terms. You know, like if we're talking best classic rock songs ever, um, you have to like be a little strict with your definitions. You know, like it just doesn't make sense to have, uh, you know, maybe Bob Seger up against someone like Queen, right? I mean, the fact that some of these bands can be even mentioned in the same breath to me is a little crazy because obviously Bohemian Rhapsody is this iconic fucking song in the imagination of every Western person. And it's just a really big deal, you know? So, you know, maybe your favorite Queen song is actually a crazy little thing called Love, which is much more enjoyable and quicker and fun in a lot of ways. But, you know, if you're going to pick one song by Queen, it's kind of hard to imagine it not being Bohemian Rhapsody, um, unless you were going to dismiss it on the basis of the genre, because it's this really eclectic, progressive composition that involves opera and ballad, you know, but it does have this classic rock element, right? So I just think it's interesting to like consider all of these things and then how much you can objectify 
<laughs> objectify, make objective uh, your criteria. And so I'm like really developing a bit of a, a system here where you define the main instruments, right? And they should be guitars. Uh, the singing should have a bit of uh, spirit to it. You know what I mean? Like we can probably think of Janis Joplin um, as epitomizing this kind of soulful singing of blues rock that is inherent to classic rock. But does that song have the same kind of guitar riff to it, right? Is like a folk song like by Bob Dylan, is that classic rock the same way? Is Electric Light Orchestra, you know, Living Thing or Mr. Blue Sky, are these kind of like more progressive rock compositions considerable? And I just want to figure that out for myself. So I, I think define the main instrument, give points to electric guitars, take away points for pianos, you know, um, think about the, the composition of the song and um, how driving it is, what the chord, if it does it have a chord progression in it, you know, this kind of stuff and assign points to each answer that you make. And then maybe that can help define the terms, you know, because I got to say, like one of my favorite songs, when I think of classic rock, some of my favorite songs are, you know, uh, The Police, So Lonely. It's a really kind of eclectic, artsy song. Is it classic rock? Um, you Got Lucky by Tom Petty. Um, it's just a song that's kind of in my uh, lexicon with my friends. Is Does that count? Um, and I'm not sure the answers of that. Cecilia by Simon and Garfunkel is probably my favorite. You know, it's a little more, has a little bit more of a driving beat, uh, but it could also be folky, you know? Um, so it's, these things are hard. The band Yes is amazing. Heart of the Sunrise is probably going to be in there for me near the top, but they have another song called Owner of a Lonely Heart, which is super fun, but it's, it's a lot more synthy prog rock, you know, like I'm not sure uh, if both can be on there or if like a band like Fleetwood Mac, like you can go your own way has got to be the one because it has such a driving kind of force to it uh, versus Dreams, which is maybe even better on that album, but doesn't feel as rock, you know, and then you compare that to Fleetwood Mac later in their career with like Little Lies or Everywhere. And these are very soft pop rock kind of songs. I mean, they're barely rock. You know what I mean? And so I don't really know how to judge that, right? Like to me, if I'm making my top 40 of quote classic rock and you can define it however you want, all of those Fleetwood Mac songs would be on there, you know, because I prefer the song Little Lies in a somewhat ironic tongue-in-cheek way over a song like uh, Cashmere by Led Zeppelin, which is way more definitive classic rock. So I don't know, like maybe I take it too seriously, right? I mean, I'm sure from my dad's point of view, he would just like to indulge in the idea that I'm a big Fleetwood Mac fan um, and that I like synth 80s stuff. So if I can convince him somehow that, you know, uh, David Bowie songs that are pushing the envelope a bit should be up there in the classic rock canon. You know, maybe that's more of the point to him. But to me, I would like to end up with a document that can be taken seriously <laughs> by more people. I don't know, like, to me, that's kind of my idea with things, you know, like when people ask me my favorite movies, like, of course, I really enjoy watching something like, you know, Wet Hot American Summer. And 
I love comedy, but usually I don't mention that one when people are talking to me about film because I like that conversation to go into a more heady, you know, art criticism discussion around David Lynch and, you know, Spike Jones and Charlie Kaufman and stuff like this. You know, it's important to talk about P.T. Anderson in the lexicon of great directors ever, you know. So if you're making a list of the best film directors of all time, um, it's just important to recognize the the work they do on a craftsperson level and visual uh, visionary level, I guess. Um, but that's harder when you're talking about a genre like this because um, people change over time. Classic rock is a weird thing to specify. It's just music, right? It's music. Um, music is defined by, um, you know, notes arranged through time. And that can apply to a very specific subset of things in the world. You're not talking about books. You're not talking about speeches. Uh, you're talking about um, a very specific commodity in the West that we all kind of understand. And they're released in a certain date in time, right? At a point like a release date. So you can you can talk about music by year. You can talk about music by decade. Um, but it's hard to talk about music by genre because a lot of good music is genre pushing or bending or challenging. So I guess that's where I'm going with this kind of conversation. Um, I can tell you now, dear listeners, since I don't usually do follow-up episodes to things, I can give you a sense of what this will consist of. And it looks something like Hotel California, Bohemian Rhapsody, 25 or 6 to 4 by Chicago. Those are like the three songs that my dad and I both give tens to, you know, and they're both, they're all basically solidly classic rock uh, for all intents and purposes so far. Then you got um, the Beatles, uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps is our highest ranking one. I put like 10 Beatles songs up here for consideration. That's our highest rated one, considering all factors at the moment. Uh, rock and Roll by Led Zeppelin. Uh, Rolling Stone song has got to be on there, obviously. Right now it's Gimme Shelter. It could go a lot of other ways. I would propose that maybe one song per album, you know, because if you have a band like the Rolling Stones, I think it would be okay to have something off Let It Bleed, but also something off Beggar's Banquet, and then maybe also something else, you know. Um, so, I don't know. To me, like, this, beget this gets interesting when you think about the rules. And... I think it's okay to have rules when you're doing things, especially in collaboration, but even individually, you know, it's funny because I, maybe this is the point of me wanting to record this today. I usually mock rules in some fashion as a contrarian, as an iconoclast. Um, would I go so far as to say that the rules don't apply to me? You know, that does make me sound a bit of a brat. Um, but, you know, when you're driving on the road and you can read the patterns of traffic and you can see ways to exploit that in order to, uh, you know, to save time and headache, um, there are some rules that are meant to be broken. Of course, not all. But um, there's fungibility in this kind of way of thinking about the world in terms of rules. Um, but when you're trying to do something like present a case to present an argument, you need to follow certain rules. You need to follow rules of logic. 
you need to follow um, you know some amount of social etiquettes you can't yell your argument at somebody without hearing anything you can't uh, make appeals to authority or use ad hominem attacks you know these are all uh, failing to stay within the boundaries of reason and uh, the rules of discussion the rules of engagement so to me I just think it you know I don't know why this is but when my dad presented this project to me I started immediately thinking in terms of what are our rules for engagement and I don't fully accept the rules that he presented and I wanted to counter them with what I think are pretty unobjective unobjectionably better rules that he's for he's I'm happy to say he's obliged to them <laughs> but dad if you're you know if you do object I would I'm curious to hear why you know oh it's more work or uh, why bother with all that I mean those are fair objections to things um they're fair objections, you know, so like regarding the more work, I, like I volunteer to be the one to type out the year, the release date of every song, you know, it's like, I would originally say the rule would be if you're nominating a song, you know, like Procol Harum, A Wider Shade of Pale, a song that I barely know at all, um, I'm not going to rate it very high, he's putting it up there, but he's not going to type in the year that it's released because maybe it's too much work. So I will do that because like going on to Google and looking that up and then going back to the spreadsheet and typing it in, you know, I can do that much faster than he can. And I'm willing to do that for the sake of, uh, for the integrity of the project. Right. Um, does it matter? No, it doesn't matter. But to me, it, it enriches the experience for me because it's good to know that that Procol Harum song uh, is from 1967. I would have guessed maybe the 70s, and I didn't really realize how rich the late 60s were with music. You know, it's hard to really understand the time period that you didn't live through that uh, that song uh, came out the same year as Van Morrison's Brown Eyed Girl and Cream, Sunshine of Your Love and Velvet Underground, Heroin and Jimi Hendrix, Purple Haze and Jefferson Airplane, White Rabbit, and The Beatles, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, you know, just a few months later. So, like, it's just interesting to look at all that and know that that's all of the same exact year, let alone era. I don't know. Like, that's fun. That's fun. So, that's what I'm up to now. Um, I think I'll leave this here since this is a pretty uh, mild, low-stakes kind of topic. I don't need to go on and on about it. Uh, I just think it's kind of interesting to play around with this stuff. I suppose the last thing I'll say about this whole endeavor is I'm sitting here not only recording, <laughs> not only doing the whole project, but recording a podcast about it, you know, and this is like valuable time during which I could be doing a lot of things. And it makes you question the time you give to hobbies, the time you invest in recreation and flights of fancy. And, you know, is it time wasting? Is it, you know, dawdling around twiddling your thumbs? Like, these are interesting questions as well. Um, I would say that recreation is never a waste of time. Uh, when you consider what you lose instead of doing that, I think that recreating yourself um, rejuvenating your soul, so to speak, is always worthwhile. And it leaves you in a, you know, in a headspace of 
peace and maybe even clarity to to indulge in something like this, you know, to read a book, to watch a really good series, to have a really good conversation with a friend over a coffee or dinner. Like these things are just very valuable to do. And maybe that's like my thesis in life to pursue such things. Um, but I'm doing them. And I didn't think a week ago that I'd be doing this one. And I hope to not be doing it much longer, right? But I'll just give you a teaser of what I, a, another project I'll have to talk to about, you about next, which is mapping the world, which is something I've maybe hinted at before. I've done it before on this pod about the Caribbean. Um, you know, my brother was just in the Caribbean recently and he was talking to me about all the different islands and whether those islands are sovereign states or whether they're dependencies to a, a, a former colonial power and how to make sense of all this stuff and how different they really are when you get there on the ground. You know, is St. Martin so different from uh, Antigua and Barbuda, which is so close to it? Is it so different than St. Martin on the other side of the same island, one French, one Dutch? Uh, do Antigua and Barbuda still feel British, even though they happen to have been given sovereignty and now are part of the Commonwealth, whereas the Dutch and French dependencies haven't been given sovereignty? You know, like... These are all such small, small places that are so close together. Why aren't they just a union of the Lesser Antilles or the Leeward Islands of the Lesser Antilles? Like, why is it so complicated? And I've mapped out a lot of that. And um, my brother was asking me to uh, update some things because he'd been there. And he said, you know, St. John's is really a capital worth putting on the map. Um, I think you should update your map so that, you know, he wants to print it out. I couldn't find the file, which is embarrassing. Um, that goes into a whole workflow, life flow thing that I've talked about before. Um, so I'm kind of starting over because it's not that hard to do, but it is work, it's labor to like find uh, maps of the Caribbean and have them be the exact amount of detail that you want. And they never are, so then, then I end up making my own maps, but I'm using Google Maps screenshots and Photoshop because that's the world I come from of photography. And then I learned that, you know, there is like really complex software out there, like GIS software, graphic imaging systems and mapping tools. And I'm realizing that maybe it's worth just getting into that because I'm so passionate about it. And then I wonder, like, it's definitely more interesting and valuable, in my opinion, to do that than to compile the list of 100 best classic rock songs, which is almost worthless. Um, but I do wonder if it's a hobby or if it's a passion, if it's something I can monetize, if it's worth monetizing, or if I should just go back to my actual visual art. These are all questions, you know, and they're questions worth thinking, you know, like we tend to get carried away with things and that is actually a good sign. If you can get into the flow state around any topic, it's probably for the best, you know, I mean... Do what you love and the money will come, people say, or follow your heart. And I think these are valid arguments, even if the money doesn't come. <laughs> but it, it's it's just, it's fun to get lost in a project. Um, I guess I just advocate that those projects be done um, with some standards, not necessarily to the best of your ability, because it's not always worth doing at your best. Let's be honest. I'm getting into woodworking, you know, uh, shelf making, cabinet making, uh, furniture making. 
I'm never going to be as good as my buddy Wes, who, you know, went to grad school for that purpose and can sell benches on high-end websites. Um, but I can get to the point where I DIY shelves instead of hiring contractors. Does it have to be as good as the contractor? Not necessarily, you know? So it's just fun to get into projects. That's what I've been up to a lot lately. And those projects really are all, all over the map, as it were. Um, but I'm here just advocating to do it and to do it with some amount of a code because we have to have a code. All right, I'm going to leave it there. Until next time, ciao.